oh my God, I could have passive income in a Ferrari. I'm just stupid enough not to take this course. Like, why am I the asshole that didn't fucking get the Ferrari and have like $20,000 a month coming in and doing nothing on a beach? Like, I just have to click this ad. Well, I'm not gonna be that guy. I'm gonna, I'm gonna click this ad. Welcome everyone to Authentic as Fuck podcast. Hey, Michael. Long time no. What's up, dude? Long time no talk. People have been asking about you. <laughs> really? Yeah, a lot of people have been asking me about actually Elizabeth. They're like, yeah, where's, where's well, Elizabeth? yeah, that's who they should be asking about. <laughs> but some of them have been uh, really asking about you too. Like, there, there's few people that are like, oh, I really love the episode with, with Mike, and oh, that means a lot. Yeah. I, I think I kind of operate from a, this notion that like. I, uh, people shouldn't care about me. <laughs> and, and so it's like, what's wrong with them <laughs> that they're interested? Like, I, like, I want to tell you, oh, I'm like, yeah, I got bravado and all that kind of stuff. But, um, I'm always kind of floored when people are that interested. So, um, I'm grateful for that. Yeah. And I, I just to kind of give everyone, uh, some background info. So Mike's going to be on the podcast every other week. Um, because you know like the podcast is called authentic as fuck and a lot of the message that i talk i mean i I talk about branding and personal branding and marketing but a lot of it relates back to authenticity because it's it it is a huge part of personal branding so i just wanted to like have chats with you so that we get like a real i mean you obviously um know a lot about authenticity a lot more than me so i just wanted to kind of get you know your outlook on things on a continual basis and you're a good friend and you help me build everything and so like there's also all of that like i think i just think it's cool the way that we met like i was looking for someone to help me carry this message and it turned out you'd already seen the ted talk and so it was meant to be and i think that i don't I don't know that I would be where I am um, right now. I know I wouldn't be if, if we hadn't come across you uh, and built a relationship <laughs> with you because uh, believe it or not, I teach authenticity and it was scary to be authentic in building the brand. And you were the one that gave me permission to do that. And also you and Elizabeth were really good at calling me out when I wasn't doing it, even though I, I wanted to. Um, so I just think it's kind of cool that like, you know, you've helped me really find my voice around authenticity and you're building a killer platform. And so if what you're doing has authenticity as a part of it, I thought it'd be really cool too. Yeah. Besides an excuse just That's... to talk to someone. <laughs> yeah. And we love just like, like everybody listening, like screw you guys. <laughs> like this isn't, this is not about you. This is about son and I, and yes, Elizabeth is no more. I kicked her out and I'm taking over. Or our son really kind of kicked her out. That's actually the real problem. Uh, we decided to procreate, and uh, she wants to be spending more time with him. Yeah, how is uh, how is Wolfie? How's the Wolfie's good, dude. Um, he's um, so Elizabeth and I both are kind of like type A, you know, hardcore perfectionists. Like it's amazing that we have such a great relationship. Um, I think it's just, I, I I genuinely think you have these two really strong personalities, and the reason that it works is uh we're both authentic and so when we see that our character defect is causing friction we're willing to own it instead of defend it 
Um, but what that also means is because of that great thing, you have a household with some pretty strong freaking people <laughs> like that are type A and like, we're like efficiency freaks and how we do groceries. Like it's really, it's a problem. And so they say that your oldest child is going to be more stressed out because you're going to have more anxiety and you're going to be more controlling. Well, we have a ton of anxiety and we're very controlling. And so Amaret is actually like now the boss of the household. She's oh, almost nice. two. <laughs> but like Wolf is so much more chill because like we're not, we're not trying, you know, our personalities aren't saying we have to figure this out because we were so freaking scared that we were going to do something wrong or mess something up. And it's just like, we, we were just really scared with Amaret and like, you know, so a lot of that came out. And so Wolf is a lot more chill because we're being more chill with him. And now I understand why oldest children have a tendency to be more stressed mm -hmm. and, the younger have it like I was always like, oh, that's just like a horoscope. I don't yeah. know what that means. And, and now it's I like, oh, to put it together. Your older kid is like your first business, right? Your first business. You're just like, <laughs> <laughs> you're like man, I made all the mistakes on that one, dude. If I could go back and do it. Sorry, Amaret. Sorry about that, dude. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's like it's all the mistakes. You make all the mistakes and then you learn from them. And then, you know, I, I think it works out fine as long as you try to be a good parent. Yeah. But he's good and she's good. He's not sleeping as well as Emirate was, which is hard on um, Elizabeth and obviously probably hard on him. But slowly getting there, we're just very impatient people. So we're like, Emirate was sleeping 12 hours by this time and he's not. And I think Elizabeth will need like five years to catch up on all the sleep that she's <laughs> lost. She's like, I, she, we should get a tattoo with a big S on her chest because I, I call her Superwoman. Mm -hmm. Like she's just, she's amazing. And, and I think her doing this podcast was part of that. She really wanted to do it. She really cared about you and your message. And um, and so she wants to be here. She wants to be a part of it. But, yeah. um, she was also a part of our business and she had to step out and say, you know what? I really, I want to be the best mom yeah. I can be. And, and I'm like, who's going to say? And I kind of felt that. Do that. I felt like she, because I brought it up to her first, right? I said like, Hey, do you, you know, do you want to take some time off? Because like, I felt like she had a lot going on, but yeah. she wasn't actually like telling me like, Hey, this is really tough for me. And that's why, like, I, I kind of mentioned it and I'm like, I'm glad I did because I'm glad you did you're too. Me. <laughs> well, and she doesn't ever want to let anyone down. I'm mm -hmm. sure a lot of people can relate to that. And she's a perfectionist. So she's like, I'm not enough. And so she didn't want to let you down. So you asking her genuinely, Hey, do you want to take time off? Gave her a little bit more permission to do it. And I think that's like, I have to do that with her and she has to do that with me. Like a lot of times I need someone to give me permission to not basically self-sacrifice for what I think is better. When a lot of those better things aren't that important yeah. in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, so she, she was grateful that she could get, um, I mean, you think it was tough that she bowed out of the out of uh, your podcast. She bowed out of our business. Yeah, yeah. Like everything that we're that, doing yeah. to run the mastery program, like she's gone. And 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 it's really weird to deal with an ex employee that was so integral to your business that's still walking around your house all the time <laughs> that you have a relationship with. And you're like, oh, I remember that you used to be a badass and have all this like great stuff that you do. And now Brooke and I, another member of our team, are trying to figure it out. With, it's like walking around watching all of that horsepower in her brain and knowing <laughs> that like she could be helping us because she did and she's doing something that's more important but it's like you know you, you lost a podcast host co-host i lost 
the chief operating officer of the mastery program, but two kids gained a, a, a fully present mom. So it works out. Yeah. I mean, like, I guess one of the things that when you just said that, one thing that popped in my mind is like, if I was in that situation, and, and this is probably my fault, but if I was in your situation, I would probably start like growing resentment or something like that. Because I'm like, hey, you could be helping me right now. But and you have the capability to help me, but uh, even though you, I Who understand, said I'm not? yeah. <laughs> Who said I'm not, Elizabeth? If you're listening, f you, dude. Um, <laughs> she's not listening. She doesn't have time. Um, but if you do a clip, she'll see it. Um, no, you know what? I'm glad you said that because, and this is where like we'll get like I'm going to get a little analytical, but. Um, it was tempting to have a resentment and I've been in those situations before, but one of the things that I teach people and that I have been taught and that I have to continually relearn myself is this principle of surrendering the outcome. And so many times, um, I will try to manage my outcomes through other people. So, and I'll give you a different example, like, Hey, Elizabeth, if you don't tell Amaret no, that she can't watch this show. She's going to grow up and be an entitled teenager and I'm a recovering drug addict. And so she's going to have that energy and she's going to end up using an effing die. So I'm scared about all that. So you have to stop doing this. And so I feel like so many times our resentments and our, and our angers and our fears when it comes to other people are related to our own fear for what's going to happen to us. But like, it's not okay to be selfish. So you try to say it's about them and it's really about you. And so I think that if I didn't know how to surrender the outcome, my approach with Elizabeth would be like, dude, you screwed me. I, I'm scared we're not going to be successful. Mm-hmm. Like you weren't able to anticipate that you were going to want to bow out. I thought that you were going to want to bow out. And so I could have planned more better, but you said you didn't. And now you do. And so I'm sitting here trying to figure it out. And I'm scared that we won't be able to be successful and pick up the pieces. But I'm so practiced at surrendering the outcome. I just, I'm, it's like automatic where, I mean, I don't always do it, but it's automatic where it's like, I can't control all this stuff and actually surrendering the outcome allows me to see the higher good in things. I'm like, actually, it's good that you're doing this. So let me go ahead and detach my outcome from what you're doing first. And then what can't I control? Okay. I can't control that we have more to do than we can and that Elizabeth was in it and she's out, but here's what I can control. And then, so one of the things that we did when we had our son and for anyone that, for the few people that noticed me, I stopped posting on social media. That was one thing that I could do is to literally say, we're going to sub-optimize our platform um, and just make posting content not a thing right now because Elizabeth was so integral to that so that she can go do that and so that Brooke and I don't die trying. And and you know what? A lot of people would say that's bad and maybe we'll find out that it is, but we had to surrender the outcome and that gave me the freedom to go to, go to Elizabeth. Hey, I'm glad you're doing this. I see the benefit in it. I'm grateful for it and not carry the weight of the world on my shoulders. Yeah. I, I tap into it every once in a while for sure when I get really scared, but um, I would have a resentment against her because I would be scared about what would happen to me. I but think I maybe the environment has a lot to do with it. Like for, cause when you just said about not posting on social media, cause I've had few of those moments too. And yeah, when you're always like posting on social media and social media is very like momentum based, right? So you feel, you almost feel this pressure like, oh, I need to, I need to post something. I need to post something like, and it's like this like hidden, like pressure that you feel 
that you feel like you wake up and that's something important that you have to do. And it's like in the back of my mind, but I know I have this other yep. more important thing I need to do that I might not even not feel the immediate pressure, but it is more important. <laughs> and sometimes I'll ignore this more important thing because this yeah. visible thing that's around my environment or whatever is causing me to, and that happens to me a lot. So a lot of times, like, like I have to do what, what you said, right? Like I, the thing that you always talk about, like what, what can you control? What can't you control? And, and just at that moment, I have to be like, okay, like, so this posting on Instagram is this, that's also why I've only started posting like every other day or every two, three days, because I literally on those days that I'm, I know I'm not posting, I have to be like, okay, today I'm not posting. I just got to let that go because <laughs> yep. that's not going to happen because I have this more important thing I need to do right now. And then once I tell myself that I'm fine, but if I tell myself I'm going to do this and also create something, then like it goes, it goes wrong <laughs> but i think the point that you just made is a really important one i think a lot of it has to do with how visible it is because not to get like crazy philosophical here but at the end of the day it's triggering a fight or flight mechanism mm -hmm. inside of us and it's like i won't survive if i don't do x and so it is very visible the threat to you because the entire world has a view of what you're doing and they can respond and engage and tell you if they don't like it. Mm -hmm. But if you have like this project with this one person over here mm -hmm. and they're virtual and they're not even physically next to you, no matter how much intellectually you know that that might be more important that day, it's really like your body wants to tap into all the noise over here because that's a potential yeah. threat because back in the day it could be a tiger in a bush that's like gonna attack us or whatever. And, Humans are terrible against tigers. Like I think mean, tigers are like a thousand and zero against humans in hand-to-hand -hand combat. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. Um, ESPN.com came uh, brought that up, but like so, so a lot of it has to do with how visible you make it. So that's why when we teach surrender the outcome, we have people create a, a sheet where it has can't control and can't control in the top, and we have them write down. Like they'll be like, I know what they are. I'm like, I don't care if you know what they are. Write them down. And we have them actually write them down so it brings everything to the same place and it's visible. And I commend you because I think it's harder for you to not post because you said it's momentum-based. Let's be real, dude. You've got momentum and I don't. So it's easier for me not to. Like the TED Talks had almost 2 million views. I got people in the mastery program. But social, like I don't really think that we ever really established like serious momentum, probably because my heart wasn't in it. Um, to the degree that I think, and, and my capacity, my skill set wasn't, um, but like you actually have momentum and that's like, that's a, that's a very significant responsibility to feel. So that decision for you must've been really hard to say, I'm going to post every other day or every it's, two I days. Mean, like, it's that a must decision scary. I have to make every single day. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, you're, you're kind of like a, you know what, you're, you're kind of like a drug addict. Yeah, yeah, you got yeah, you yeah. not to use. I am. And, and I well, always say I that, like, I. I have a terrible like tolerance for alcohol. Like I, I can't drink at all. If I have one beer, like I'll turn all red and I'll start getting headaches and things like that. And I, I'm always say I'm so glad that that's the case because if if I actually didn't have that, I'll probably be an alcoholic. Like I have such an yeah. Because we talk about that, you you kind of have a, an addictive personality. Yeah. So it's good. It's you've like uh, biologically uh, installed antibodies. <laughs> Yeah. So you're good. <laughs> Thank, Thank God. We, we should be in, seriously. We should be like identifying the chromosome 
on your body that makes it so that you can't tolerate alcohol. And we should be like, if we're going to biologically engineer different traits, we should try to biologically engineer that into other people. <laughs> yeah. So, and you're right, right? It's the environment. Cause even within client work, when I used to do a lot of client work, it was always the, the client one, the client that, uh, nags me the most is going to get the most. Yeah. It wins. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not. Well, yeah. So wait, so here's a question. Cause I think that, you know, you, I know you're, I don't know perfectly, but I know the audience that you're serving. And so a lot of your audience is trying to do a lot of things that you're doing really well. So for them, like, what is the fear that you feel when you make the decision, I'm not going to post today. Like, wh like what actually happens? They don't care. <laughs> no, 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 I know they don't care. Yeah. I'm talking about for you, mm. for like the fear of I'm not going to post today. Like that, that can't have just been like super easy. Like, Hey, I'm just not going to post today. It's like, Oh, well, I feel the weight of that momentum. I feel like I need to tend to my, you know, following. I need to engage. I need to do all these things. Like, what is the fear? Like, what does your brain tell you? It's going to happen if you if you skip or if you don't engage. I guess, yeah, it's, it's two parts, right? One of them is like all just vanity metrics, right? It's like, uh, like it's algorithm because like I'm thinking in my head I, and I don't know if this is true or not, but when I do post every day for like three, four days in a row, like it progressively the reach goes up, right? Whereas then yep. if I skip like two or three days or something like that, then it's, it starts to slow down or something like that. So obviously that, right. I'm, I'm, I have the fear of, okay, like algorithm, algorithm's going to hate me now. And like, you know, I, <laughs> which like at the end of the day, like I, that's also another thing I have to keep reminding myself, like, dude, son, like you're not like when I first started with the, with 150 followers, I didn't care. Right. I, I just, I made. I spent more time like just making amazing content back then because it was the process of making that content was what I enjoyed. And then now it's just like, son, I got, I got to keep reminding myself to go back there. Right. And then the second thing is like, um, I've been ignoring a lot of like DMS and comments and stuff like that, just because like that shit has been taking me hours. Right. Like yeah. for me to sit and reply to every comment on a post, would literally take me two or three hours. And I'm like, I, I just don't have the time for that. And then DM would take another two or three hours, right? So I've been kind of starting to ignore those. And with that, I feel really bad because I. Of course. Well, you're, you're, you're someone who likes to serve, like to help other people. And so the good news is from here on out, you're just totally fucked. Like <laughs> that's fucked. the good news. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> That because you're only going to have more people that are going to want something from you and, 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 the, or, or just to send you love or whatever, and you're going to feel a desire to respond. And, and then the truth is, is that, you know, you already said it, like, it's not going to crush them if you don't respond. And if someone actually is crushed that you don't respond and they don't, they're not being empathetic because they don't understand what it's like to be busy. And I feel like every human being I talk to in this world, if you ask them how they're doing, the one thing they'll say is busy. So everybody's busy, whether you're an influencer or just a parent, like everybody's That's freaking true. busy and everybody doesn't have the capacity to keep up with all the requests that are coming in because digital makes it so easy. Um, and so if you're like 
and I, and, and, and you talk about like focus and stuff. So if you're just practicing what you preach, you'll be able to continue to be the guy that likes to build content. I mean, when I got clean, I was in a, I was in a halfway house with two other dudes in a 10 by 10 room. And all I had was a bed an accordion file where I put my bills that I actually paid for the first time in my life instead of getting stuff repossessed. And I was so happy. I was so happy. I had nothing. Um, but I was so grateful to be alive and to be clean and to be able to pay a cell phone bill. And, um, I still look at that moment and say the rest of my life, I'm trying to get to a place where I feel that happy. And I have all this great stuff. Do you feel happier back? Do you have like, to I felt happier then. I felt happier then. Oh, life wow. was simpler. It was, it was really simple. It was my job. I had one job that I was probably not going to do well. And that was stay clean and survive and be a productive member of society. And so things were really simple now because I take care of my recovery. I've been able to have all these gifts, like a family and a business and like all these things that I'm not saying it's not good to strive for those things, but attaching to them and thinking that they're going to provide happiness is like, I mean, there's a million people that talk about that. But for me personally, um, there's something very clarifying. I love zomb I love movies where the world ends. Not because I'm rooting for the world to end, but because of the freedom to drop all the shit that doesn't matter. When the zombies are coming at you, like whether your art is like on the wall, right, doesn't fucking matter anymore. Like it, that just doesn't matter. And so I think that, you know, things were just so clear what really mattered when I was in that little room fighting for my recovery. And so I think about you with the 150 followers at the beginning or me when I did the TED talk and I didn't know if anyone would watch it. Um, as long, whatever we have to do to get, like I have to work really hard to try to get back to that place mentally. And I don't get there. I try to get as close as I can. And so like one of the things I always talk about that everybody thinks I'm morbid is I talk about deathbed. I'm always like obsessed with trying to change my perspective to what will matter when I'm dead. Mm -hmm. um, because like, if I don't do that, then suddenly all the emails, all the likes, all the, con well, wait, not nearly as much, but like not a lot, but like enough to, so how about this? I'm overwhelmed by my following. And, and in terms of like Instagram and stuff, it's a fraction of yours. And so that's why I said the good news is you're fucked from here on out because you have no choice but to surrender it or else you're going to go crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I have to, you kind of like, so the, like what, what's happening is like, as you gain more success, doesn't matter in what, whatever, whether in business or, you know, finances or whatever it is, it it actually makes you unhappier because now you have more to lose. You're, you're yes, you're yeah, dude. So th this is really effed up, but like, so we we made. The after I sold my company, I bought my dream home, and I knew that it wouldn't make me happy long term but it was something I wanted to do and I was able to do it. And, and a lot of recovering addicts don't. So I took advantage of the opportunity. And so we recently downsized from that home um, because we wanted to simplify our lives. Downsized to like a 5,000 square foot home. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. We're in Nashville. You're in New York. That sounds like a lot to you. In Nashville, they practically give you 3,000 square feet just for walking into the state. Um, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But yes. So for us, that was a downsize, but yes, I know. Um, and, and the thing is, is that like, I, 
when we started doing the mastery program, I had to, I, I still continue to use a lot of what I made from Inquaker in my retirement to fund it. I, I'm our investor and I'm getting a terrible return on my investment financially. Um, and yet I'm still able to downsize to a 5,000 square foot house. I'm still able to uh, provide food for my children and all that kind of stuff. And, set, and yet I am more scared about what I'm investing in the mastery program than I was when I maxed out my credit card, drained my 401k and withdrew everything from my bank account when I started my company, which makes no sense at all. Because what I'm doing is I feel like I have this responsibility. Like if I waste this money, I'm like a terrible human. I should have never gotten any in the first place. And I feel bad that other people don't have my, like I have all this like survivor guilt type stuff, but it's more to manage. It's more to think about. It's more whatever. And I'm not, I don't want to be one of those people who's like, you don't want it. Like, and, look, I'm recovering drug addict, man. It does not matter. You tell me I don't want it. Let me make that fucking decision. Give me your money. Like I'll make the decision that I don't want it. Like you do, you can, you can be pontificate and do Maslow's hierarchy of needs all you want while you're in your 5,000 square foot house. But I, you know, I'm, I'm over here trying to make ends meet. I was there too. Um, but I do think that when, when life is simple materially, it, it has a way of reinforcing what's important. Um, when it becomes complex, regardless of why that com what, what that complexity is, whether it's because of affluence or because of health or because of world situation, wherever you live, um, I think that things can get distorted sometimes a little bit. And I think that drives dissatisfaction because we're not, we're not wired to appreciate what we have or wired to look for a threat. Mm. And the more stuff you have, the more threats you have. Yeah. More expectation Stupid. of like what's going to happen if you lose it. Yeah. I mean, dude. So when we moved into this house, uh, we were like, Hey, let's, um, let, let's, let's, let's have someone put on some Christmas lights on the front. Mm -hmm. We really want to make this festive. It's Wolf's first year. It's the first year. And really going to understand Christmas. And so this thought, right. And so this is like, I would say this is similar to when you're scrolling on Instagram and you see an ad for some gadget that's going to make mm -hmm. your life better. And then you want to buy it. I'm sure nobody's done that. And, and so, so we get these, uh, this guy that for really cheap in the neighborhood is going to put some Christmas lights on the house. So he does that. So we go out to turn them on and, uh, they don't turn on. Mm -hmm. Then, then we turn them on and they blow a fuse mm -hmm. and then that causes another problem with the house or whatever. And I'm sitting here dealing with all this stuff. I'm saying none of this shit fucking matters. There are people fighting for their life. There are people that are sick. There are people that don't, can't make ends meet. Like this shit does not matter. But at the same time, there's something in me that won't let myself just walk around with a house with a bunch of lights on it that are broken and broke blown fuse and all that kind of stuff. And so suddenly this small little incremental perfectionistic thing to improve my quality of life that won't actually has actually robbed me of time. And so like you buy that gadget on Instagram and then it's like, oh, you need the right batteries. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, oh, you need to install it right. Oh, you need to look up a YouTube video to use it right. And like the whole time, the efficiency was promising you, you could have just done by using something that your parents use in the kitchen or whatever it is. <laughs> and I just feel like, you know, we're, um, we're a lot of us are, you know, for those of us that are worried about survival, that's what we're worried about. But for those of us that are able to technically survive, um, we're worried about really advanced stuff. And we have a tendency to really create prisons around right. ourselves with all these things that we have to manage. That's true. And I think that's why, like, you know, I mean, this is going to sound fucked up, but like, I think when I didn't have money, I always say I don't care about money, right? 
when I didn't have followers, right. I used to always say I don't care about followers. And I think that's like a trend, right? Like like a lot of people, most people who say they don't care about money are the ones who don't have money. And most people who, don't, who say I don't care about followers are the... It's it's because I, I really don't think that you know how that feels until, until you have it, it that, yep. and you're afraid to lose it, right? Like that's what... Yep. And so how do we stop that, right? Like, because like, the, the oh, secret is... Oh, that's well is, documented. <laughs> the hedonic treadmill, like it's simple like it's just whether or not you have the balls to, to get off yeah well the secret is to have the money and have the followers but actually don't care about it like how, how do you i think do that's that? the illusion that people sell hmm. i think that's the illusion that people sell I, I what's the truth for most of us hmm. there might be an exceptional human out there that's able to detach from all that. So like I imagine somewhere Thich Nhat Hanh has the capacity to detach from how much people read his books. Like that guy can do it. <laughs> I can't. I look at stuff around me and I'm going to want it. I'm going to want to perfect it. I'm, I'm just realistic. I think philosophically, but I'm also very pragmatic. I think that I have to just look myself in the mirror and say, I'm paying, I'm going to choose to pay the price and I'm going to be tempted. And so like pay the price, meaning like that you are going to be the price of attachment and the suffering that comes with it. I just got to be real with myself and say, I'm signing up for that. Like I, I, I don't, I personally don't know how to have a lot of something and truly remain detached. I know how to go to a workshop, read a book or watch a Ted talk, get inspired and spend a weekend, not attached. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to sustain that lack of attachment. And um, that doesn't mean that it's not possible and that people can't do it, but the majority of people that I've observed that, you know, between my self-help mentors and all that stuff that are successful in detaching, it's not really detaching, it's removal. What do you mean? Like they don't live in the house. That's really nice. They don't, um, they don't like build a business off of the followers. They don't, like they, they don't try to have their cake and eat it too. They actually commit to the life of not having it. And, and then they don't let it affect anything that they're doing. Like Warren Buffett, you know, we I, all I see what you know mean. so okay. many things yeah. about him. Yeah. Like he's living in this tiny house. And, and so like he has all this money, but he's not actually living like it. I mean, you ever, you ever hear a story about what he does when the market drops? No. So he goes every morning, and I don't know if he still does this, but the documentary I saw, every morning he goes to McDonald's to get um, like an Egg McMuffin or like oh, yeah, a pancake thing yeah. or whatever. <laughs> and based off of how the market does, he won't allow himself to get the more expensive yeah, item. he gets like the one without the cheese or something. <laughs> like talk about like that's, that's borderline insulting to the rest of humanity. <laughs> like for those of us that are like going through McDonald's and we're not even thinking about like the difference between a dollar, we're thinking about calories or taste or whatever. And this guy's got all this money. He's like, oh, no, no sausage McGriddle go for me today. You know, the market went down. And so you can tell that the guy, like, it's not impacting him at all. Yeah. He's not actually using it. I feel like the person that that's probably makes a fortune. Why. That's probably why right. he's so successful in, in investing in compound interest. In. But, <laughs> but he's not enjoying the benefit that we lust after. Yeah. I think yeah. that's the most important thing is that we all go, we want to be Warren Buffett, but actually the reason you want to be Warren Buffett is because you want his money. And if you want his money, it's because you want to buy a house or a car mm -hmm. or go on an expensive vacation, but that's not what he's doing. Mm -hmm. 
And so he truly doesn't get like, mm-hmm. and this is obviously, I don't know him. This is just my perception, but it seems like he doesn't give an F. He doesn't use it. He doesn't like, yeah, he truly it's doesn't actually not part of his life. Yeah. And so he's, 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 he's the closest will come at this example, of course, Thich Nhat Hanh being another example, the closest will come to being that detached. And, and the truth is, is that it's for most of us, we kind of want the stuff. We kind of want the praise. We kind of want those things. And I think telling yourself that you're going to pursue them, uh, achieve them, and then you're not going to care about them yeah. is, is a lot harder than it sounds. But what I do think is what we can do is we can live in this duality that feels like a paradox where um, I've been reading a lot of Wayne Dyer lately, so that's why I'm coming up with that. But like I think about the Tao. Um, so is that how you pronounce it? Tao? Tao. That's how I pronounce it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm not even sure if I pronounced it right. So, but like he was talking about how it's really hard for us to live in, in paradoxes and dualities. And so it's like, you know, believe in good and evil. And at the same time, believe there's no such thing as good and evil, like that kind of stuff. And so for, for me, I choose to live in the, in the paradox of, um, I know that this stuff isn't going to make me happy, but I'm going to pursue some of it. But my value system is going to be set up in such a way where I'm not going to allow myself to take actions that actually prioritize it. So as an example, it's really important to carry my message. I want more exposure to create that message impact. I would like more followers, but I'm not willing to do what it takes to get them. As you've been telling me what to do for years and I haven't been willing to do it because it's not higher than my value system of, of other things mm-hmm. that are more in my skill set and more in my competency. And so I'm paying the price for that. Um, but my value system is driving things. I still want the followers. My value system is not letting me trade my happiness for the followers. And that's the best I can hope for. But in other areas, I am trading against my values and I need to correct it as I see it. Does that make sense? Yeah. <clears throat> I actually been like looking, looking into like the, the value system a lot recently like with with high value and i just in the last few months like i came to realization that i've been i've been all whacked out of my values right like um because you know and i totally relate to you because i'm i'm i i could have easily been like this nihilist where like oh nothing in the world matters we're like we're none of us oh you totally could yeah (laughs) yeah so in in the bigger scheme of things i can do realizing that but in reality yeah it does matter it does matter if if you know my dog dies or something it just it does matter like i think that's the the duality of paradox you're talking about but yeah value system wise i i feel like so many people tell themselves that this these are my values when in reality it's not true and and i think once you once you can recognize that okay these really are my values and then you kind of align it with your career or whatever it is that, for example, like for you, right? Like for me, one of my, one of my value is actually uh, creating, right? Like creating content. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. And all of that. And so I love, like, it's like, if I can just sit and like, you know, full time every day, all day make content, I would, that's what I would do, right? That, that would be my dream job. So that's why it, it kind of aligns aligned it um getting followers but you on the other hand you don't like that right you don't like making content and you don't like doing that but yeah there are other ways to get followers right so you just have to somehow align your values to something that ultimately have 
does that, right? Like, and I haven't been doing that for myself. I always used to say, oh, my, like, you know, everybody says, oh, the most important thing is like relationship and all of that, right? But then recently, like, I've been thinking about my whole life. I'm like, I, relationships actually are not really that high in my value list because hopefully Gigi's not listening. <laughs> well, not that kind of relationship, but I mean, even, okay, even with Gigi or even my friends and things like that. I'm usually never the person that like reach out to them and say, hey, like, let's do something, right? It's my friends always have to reach out to me, right? Mm, and it's just, yeah. it's so apparent if I look at my entire life, it's so obvious that like relationship is not one of my high, <laughs> highest values. But because like society always says like, oh, it's all about teamwork, it's all about blah, 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 blah. And then like even in business, I was like that, right? I was like, oh, like the team, the relationship and blah, 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 blah. But that was probably not the right way to run business for me. Like, like, I, cause I'm a very like, you know, analytical, like kind of sit in my little, you know, yep. like bad cave and just like analyze and do <laughs> that type of person. And that's my, but do you, yeah. do you know how amazing it is that you just said that though? Like, I feel like for most people to say like, Hey, I actually relationships aren't as important to me without trying to like go for shock value, like Gary V level shock value, like you're just being honest. Um, I think that that's like, that would be really hard for people to admit because we're all starving for connection and there's so many ways to visibly create digital connection, but we're not actually connecting. And I think that like, I know that creation is like what you're built to do. And I think for your ability to just like own that is important. And, And what you just said about being a business owner, the problem, I think one of the biggest problems that at least I had was I used to always assume that I had to follow the model that other people used. And so I would get enamored with a certain type of, you know, whether it was when I was playing tennis or, you know, whether when I was, you know, trying to get a girl or whether like whatever, like it was, this is a person I want to be like them instead of asking me, who do I want to be? And, and so then what ends up happening is I have visibility to like one playbook for how to be successful. And so like building my first company, I had a mentor that all of his businesses he built through venture capital and that aligned with his, like his strengths, his interests, his value. He was an investor. He liked that stuff. He was always trying to get me to invest. And I'm like, dude, that's not my playbook. Like, that's not me. I'm a bootstrapper. And that, and, and for the longest time I'd be like, oh, well, I should do that. I should. And luckily that's one example where I stayed true. But what I always thought, and this is like fucked up. I truly believe that I was hurting everybody around me by not raising money because someone that was successful had a playbook around, this is how you were successful. And he only wanted me to be successful. He was only advocating for something he'd had that was successful. And so like, I've had to learn that I think what's more important than the strategy Mm -hmm. is how well aligned you are in terms of your values with the strategy, because if you can align your strategy, whatever it is in parenting and whatever, with what is true to you, you can take out all of the energy that you waste trying to be someone else and double down on you. Like there's that book, Strengths Finder. Like it's like, hey, just you know, don't worry about your weaknesses, just follow your strengths. Like it's similar to that, but you waste so much energy trying to be someone else. And so like when you're when you're talking about this, like for you creating, like you are leaning into what you are good at. And so for me, I'm good at B2B. And so I had to, you know, B2B to C specifically. And so the way that I'm going to get like people that are impacted by what I'm doing is I'm going to serve companies because that's what my last company did. And that's what my company before that did. And, 
And so like, that's what my strength is. And so I was wasting so much energy trying to be like you, right? Like not, I didn't know it at the time or whatever, but that's, I'm not good at that. Like, and it, I'm not passionate about it. it I don't wake yeah. up naturally going, oh man, how can I create content today? And you're probably fucking going, man, I don't know why I slept <laughs> because I want to do more content today. And yeah. meanwhile, I'm like really passionate about, hey, that's a company that talks about authentic leadership, but what they're doing is bullshit. So let me give them a real system to do it. And then like seeing the light bulb go off and being able to tie it to P&L and make it like real inside of a company culture, like that's exciting yeah. to me. It sounds business dorky, but, and I don't really care about the businesses, honestly, it's just about the employees. I, my, all I care about is employee experience, really. At the end of the day, all I really care about is human experience. And so I just know that most of us go to work. So therefore, employee experience is the best way to impact human experience. Mm -hmm. and, and so then the best way to impact employee experience is to trick a business into thinking that making an authentic culture is in their benefit from, from a financial perspective. Well, you're not tricking. But in reality. You're not tricking them because it is. <laughs> I know, but, but, but I focus on that. I'm like, oh, it'll make you money or whatever. Because if I tell them, hey, you should be authentic, they're like, that's just some self-help bullshit. We don't want that. Mm -hmm. And so, but like, that's so much more aligned with what I do what, naturally. And therefore I don't have to work as hard and therefore I'm willing to work longer, better or shorter because I'm better at it. Like whatever your value system getting in line with that. Like, what are your other values? So the first one's create. Create like one? curiosity. I think knowledge, learning and teaching. So when yep. I say relationship, like, yes, I, like that, that typical relationship we think of, but I do love teaching. And I do love learning. And one of the things that I've been realizing yeah. recently is that what I love about teaching is, is actually learning. Because a lot of times when I teach, I feel like this, like, um, I, I would say something uh, that's kind of like <clears throat> that maybe I'm not doing myself, right? Or something. Right. It'll expose me. On, on something like I should I should be taking my own advice or something like that, where it makes me feel like uh, I don't know what's the word like <laughs> a fraud, like a hypocrite. Yeah, like yeah, you know. So so I've been learning a lot through that. Like every time I do a post or every time I, I'm talking to someone, I'm like, oh shit, I'm a fucking hypocrite. Like I'm not doing the things that I'm telling other people to do. Um, another thing is like. When I teach something, an idea that I thought I knew well, and then somebody asked me a question that'll kind of throw me, I'm like, like that's a great question, right? Then I, I try to go out and I learn and try to find that answer, and that helps me learn. So, you know how drug addicts get around all that, recovering <laughs> drug addicts, <laughs> is uh, like a sponsor. A sponsor never says I'm an expert or I know. They just say, here's my experience, mm -hmm. and. Yeah you're never going to be wrong sharing your experience. Yeah. But I do know that you love to learn and I do know that you're willing. I mean, there's a level of humility that most people don't have where they're willing to evolve what they think they know based off of what other people say or when they see that they're not practicing it. Like that takes a lot of humility and introspection, but like that's what makes you a good teacher and a good student because you're willing to teach and you're willing to learn. And then you're also willing to learn when you teach and, <laughs> and that creates a cycle. Because do we all have that? Dude, one of the things that I do is I teach SaaS companies how to install enterprise sales systems and be successful from a sales perspective by being authentic in sales. And you know what I had to realize was I am doing a terrible job selling that service. I'm doing a terrible job selling the service on how to sell. 
<laughs> like that is jacked up, dude. That is jacked up. Like that is, that is, you know, and so I think, uh, I think a lot of us think that we need to be perfect to live up to what we're saying. If we just modify what we're saying from I'm an expert, I know all it's absolute, which is really convenient pierces through the noise to here's my experience. I don't always follow this myself, by the way. Um, I, I find that I feel safer when I say this is my experience. Cause I'm always, my experience is always subject to revision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel that way but, all the time. So yeah. I actually wanted to go back and ask you about, because uh, I think there's a lesson to be learned. Maybe there is. But when you said um, they were saying you should, you know, your your mentor was saying you should get investment, right? You should, you should take investment. And you were like, no, no, yeah. no, no. So is it bec- so are you saying that taking on investment was not authentic to you? Like, or... Why were you ignoring that? So for me, basically there's like, there's two different types of fears that I will have. Um, One is, oh, I'm not good enough to do that. Mm -hmm. And then I can come up with a story of why that's not authentic to me, but really I'm just scared of my growth edge. Mm -hmm. And then there are other times where it's like, I don't, I don't want to live that way. I don't agree with that. Like, I don't want to live that way. And, um, and then someone says, you have to live this way to get what you want. And I want to be like, no, I don't. And so in this example, um, while I was intimidated and scared about raising money, cause I'd never done it before. What I would always tell them is I would say, I don't know what I would spend it on because we are so efficient. And so what, what, what basically what I learned was I needed to build this like really big story for the company about everything that we're going to do when I didn't believe in it 100% myself, mm. because one of the things that we believed in was something that um, Jason Freed from 37 Signals would say is, don't make tomorrow's decisions with today's information. Why not defer tomorrow's decisions when you have tomorrow's information? And so we were building this agile startup in healthcare, which is a very slow moving st- space. And instead of raising money, we wanted to just focus on solving problems. And we thought it was better time spent talking to our customers and, fi- and figuring out how to build things that they like, then talking to investors, raising a bunch of money, and then convincing customers what they should want, like with marketing and a sales force and, and all this stuff. And so to me, it was just, it was a more inauthentic path to market. Like it, it forced me to, and you know, when we went through the process of selling the company, I learned this. When you raise money, you are building in reality and the company that investors want to invest in those those start to become two different things mm-hmm. subtly but over time but like we were in a forbes article against a, a competitor of ours that had raised 150 million venture capital and i said i will raise money when i think that's the best thing for this business and i know what i'm going to spend it on until then it just sounds like people are saying we should raise money because we can but i don't trust myself with it because i don't know what i would spend it on so like i would rather just not do any of that and it was just uh but why for why me it was so when did you realize that you that would have been the best choice that would have been the best for so for uh, it, it to me it was a good decision so for a long time it was a really good decision but um by 2013 my partner and i start were started to not see eye to eye we started having a bunch of competitors um and one of the things that happened was he and i basically had a disagreement and the way that we were going to resolve it was by um raising money to buy him out Mm -hmm. 
And when I went through that process, I had to hire investment bankers and they made me learn. So, so actually there's a great juxtaposition. They gave me this financial model and they said, Michael, you need to learn this and know it better than anyone else. I said, no, I don't like that. I'm not good at that. I can never learn that. And one of my mentors, David Clements, um, they were like, well, David learned it over a weekend and it really helped. And I was like, crap. Okay. All right. I'll do this. And so I was just scared that I couldn't do it. Right. Um, so when I did the model, I learned that I had some basic assumptions around how we were going to grow organically that were wrong, like just flat out wrong. And I realized in the process, Hey, for us to do the things that we're setting out to do, we were, it was okay. Bootstrapping the first five years because we didn't have a bunch of competition, but now our competitors have been acquired by billion dollar companies that are pumping a ton of money into what they're doing. And so no one's even going to be able to like, we're not going to be able to keep up at all if we don't have more resources that are faster. Um, and so in that process, I got humbled because I realized we made the right decision bootstrapping, but we had made a growth plan that long-term to sustain required art of, like investment of capital. Mm-hmm. We could have chosen a more modest growth plan, mm-hmm. but we were bootstrapping, but we also were like the number one player in our space. So we wanted to expand that footprint. And those two didn't go together. We either needed to honor our humble focus on bootstrapping and say, we're just going to own a small part of the market that we created. Or we're going to say, we're going to raise money and try to own a bigger part of the market mm-hmm. because we want to make the impact. But we were in the worst of both worlds and we didn't know that that difference happened. And just we were lucky enough that we went through all this stuff and, and, and realized that we needed to raise money. So we were like, okay, so if we're going to recap my partner out, mm-hmm. we're also going to raise like 10 to 20 million so that we can grow. And I kept telling everybody, I said, so if I'm not the right CEO, then I'm happy to step down. Like, I don't want to. But I also don't want to hurt this company, but I've never managed that amount of money before in a business. And it's not really my forte. Mm-hmm. And um, and then we just, we the best thing to do with the business at that point that we learned was to sell it. Um, it gave it and the employees and the customers the best chance to continue. Um, and then I tried with launching of the book and my platform to be a, a VC guy, except I was using my money and I hired a PR firm and did all this stuff. You went the opposite. And right? I realized... <laughs> Yeah, I went the opposite route. I'm like, oh, I should have done that. I should have done that. Nope, got humbled. Pandemic killed the book launch. Like, it's all good now, but like, it's been a real tough road. And uh, and it's like, no, you should have bootstrapped this thing too, because that's who you are. Mm-hmm. I I don't like class. I never liked classes in college. That's mm-hmm. why I dropped out. I don't like academic shit, man. I want to solve real problems in front of me. And when you raise money, you have to get into an academic realm. That I love everybody that does that, but I, that's just not me. I need to solve like a problem that's in front of me with a real person and solve it in a real way, not in a theoretical way. You know, it was very humbling. You know, like, uh, yeah, what you bring up is kind of, we probably won't be able to cover it today, but like I talked about it briefly recently, but it's like that difference between like, you know, that's not me. Like I need to be true to myself, like authentic versus actually also because sometimes that can make you stubborn right like <laughs> yeah totally totally so are, are you being are you being are you resisting the growth that you should do or are you resisting what other people think you should do yeah exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the answer to that's actually really simple like seriously it's really simple i learned it in recovery what's your motivation at the end of the day mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess you no have to be because... honest. Yeah, you got you have to be honest with yourself about your motivation. Yeah. Which is You're where which is like the hardest part. 
which is like I think yeah. what most people can't do, including myself. But that's why um, that's why if you and I both had to do the same thing, if I do it and you do it, that doesn't mean that we're both authentic or we're both like whatever. It just means that the question is that did we do it to manage other people's perception and, and like say we're going to do what other people do? Or did we do it because we saw, wow, I need to grow. I'm terrified, but I'm going to do it. So then the same thing is true if you, do, if you don't do it. If you don't do it, is it because you challenge what other people think you should do and you're being true to yourself? Or did you not do it because you're scared that you can't grow? Or you're not even admitting that you have a problem. And so like an alcoholic needs to stop drinking. It's not a societal norm. Like if they're... <laughs> wrecking on the interstate like they need to stop drinking and they could say no i'm just challenging conventional norms yeah. but the truth is they're hiding from their problem yeah but then someone else that like i go to dinner with someone and they know i'm a recovering addict and they go well i'm not going to have a drink i'm like you're not doing that to save you you're doing that because of what you're thinking i think have a drink i'm not going to judge you if that's something that you would do do it and and so we can we can all take the same actions but it's what, what is our motivation is our motivation truly to um, essentially embrace and love who we are, or is it to hide and stagnate who we are? Yeah, I guess it. it, it you you kind of, <laughs> you know, when you said about that alcoholic, that's like, oh, I'm against, I'm against social norm, blah blah blah. Those are the that's the identity he built for himself. Like in his mind, I'm like, I'm authentic because that's not me, and you know, <laughs> so but he's actually being inauthentic. By saying that, because deep in deep down inside, that's not the reason why he's drinking. Is you know. So here's how you can tell the difference uh, between when when someone's got that because people do that all the time. Yeah. People that will tell you, "I don't follow X. Yeah. I'm not doing X yeah. because other I people do that do. a lot." <laughs> well. The question is: Do you have as much to say about what you do believe in related to that issue? Like what, not in terms of the negative in other people, but what you believe in. So for example, um, I had a friend that was like, that really just wanted to act out sexually in his relationship, like in a relationship, but he wanted to like go have sex with other people. He's like, I just don't believe that marriage, you know, like, I think that's just something we're socialized with. Like this, this monogamy thing is, you know, just so just a mental construct. And so like the question would be, okay, so what do you believe? what do you think was designed for us or what is our natural thing when it comes to love and sex? And it's like, Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, cool. So you built an identity only in opposition to something that means you're in denial. Yeah. It's when you're challenging something because you believe in something else that you're being true to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So if you, if you're the type of person that says, ah, oh, you know, things shouldn't be this way or things shouldn't be that way, then you still have to say, then how should it be? <laughs> you have to have that. Yeah. And like, and mean it. And yeah. because, because the difference is, is that if you say something sucks and you're just starting with that sucks. So for example, let's just say politics, regardless of what side you're on mm -hmm. or multiple sides. If you just, if all you're saying is they suck, mm -hmm. then literally your entire perspective is based off of them, not you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah you're just yeah, going yeah, the yeah, opposite okay, of okay, them. Okay, got it. Yeah. But if you say, I believe in X, I believe in X, and then someone comes along and they say, I believe in Y, you go, I don't think that's right. I think yeah. X is right. Yeah. Now what you're doing is you're talking about what you believe yeah. in. And, 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 and like, I think a lot of times it's easier to talk about what you don't yeah, believe yeah. in than what you do believe in. And it's and, and it's exactly what you said. It's like, is it is it coming from within or does it have to do with what other how 
you know other people's opinions right like yeah if you if you do believe in this and let's say you don't believe in that actually it wouldn't even bother you that people believe in that because you just you just believe in this like it's it has nothing to do with the fact that they believe in that that that's not the reason why you believe in this yes one of my one of my mentors told me and this was like this killed me when she said it she said if someone says something about me and it bothers me or angers me it means that there's a part of me that agrees with them and it's like whoa so like if they say something i'm like i'm not that how dare you say that the only reason i'm upset it's because there's a small part of me that agrees with them. Because yeah. if I didn't, yeah. like if my daughter was giving like my my wife and I, Elizabeth and I, uh, marriage advice, do you really think <laughs> we're going to sit down and be like, no, you're wrong and like rebuke her points? Like, yeah. no, we'll just be like, okay, I'm yeah. Thank you. It has no power. Yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> so true. We, we give people the power. I'm like that. Yeah. When, when I get feedback on my work or something like that, like I, I'm gonna get offended if there's truth. Like if somebody's criticizing criticizing my work, and I know they're like, oh, "That's true," that's what that's what it's gonna affect me the most. Then, so, you know, I think that guys like you and I, so people like you and I are um, we are at risk of of acting like the person that's just negative about the other things because so like because sometimes you'll do that and i'll do that too like i'll be like oh they suck they wear masks uh -huh. you know and i won't talk about like what i believe um and that's because i think that if you are truly humble and truly a learner you, there's teachers but mo the best teachers are also learners if you're truly a learner that means you're always willing to acknowledge that you might be wrong that's true which means you're always going to feel a little yeah. insecure in what you believe yeah and that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. So, so like when I was building in quicker, man, it, when people were telling me to raise money, like I had a friend that like a couple years later, when I was like on a panel about raising money and he's like, you've really matured. I was like, why? He's like, cause you're not so angry. He's like, you're not like this teenager pointing fingers at everybody that's raising money. You were just talking about, you stopped talking about why everybody who raises money sucks. And you started talking about why you like bootstrapping. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, and the truth is, I didn't know why I like bootstrapping. Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure yet. I would just, it's so much easier to build an identity around what I don't believe than what I do. And it just took me time to understand why I didn't like it. But for the longest time, I would just point mm -hmm. at people and say they suck. And it just took uh -huh. me time to figure out what I thought was good. Yeah. So that, I, that exactly kind of summarizes it, right? Like it's, if you say that, you know, that's just not me, this is me. That doesn't necessarily mean you're like you, you can be authentic and change your mind too, <laughs> right? Like change. Uh, I don't think I don't think you can be authentic and not change your mind. Human beings are rapidly mm -hmm. dynamic. Mm -hmm. Human beings are never fully self-aware. Mm -hmm. So there's no way that you can be a, that mm -hmm. you can say I'm never going to change my mind. Yeah. So, so just, it's just authentic open, to say yeah. this is my current truth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But this is what I want to believe is true forever. This is what I believe is true forever. But like the truth is always it's, subject to revision. And it's probably just like the words you use instead of because like I, I tend to say a lot like, hey, you should do this. You should do You shouldn't do that. Do, do, do. But it's just say I should just say, hey, like for me, I don't do that. I do this. Or then it's. Yeah. <laughs> well, and you know what? It's also not bad if you say you should do X. Like you're allowed to be. Like we're talking about like um you know being the teenager versus like knowing your stuff it's okay to like 
show up anywhere on that spectrum. The question is, do you own it when you realize it? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's because okay, because okay. I'll do that stuff. I mean, you're the one that helped encourage me to step into my confidence. So I'm more likely to, to like just for the sake of time, tell someone, hey, here's what I think you should do instead of just going, oh, this is my experience. But then if someone goes, hey, that advice was like bad or that didn't help or I'd really challenge this. If I'm willing to listen and, and go, was I wrong? Like, do I have a new understanding here? That saves me, that gives me the freedom to kind of be anywhere on the spectrum of like, this is what you should do to this is my experience. I want to be on the, this is my experience spectrum, but I'm too passionate mm-hmm. to, to stay there and live there. Like, again, that's, that's Thich Nhat Hanh territory for me. I always, <laughs> I, I wanted to be him. That's why I use him. I wanted to be him. I want to just sit there and be mindful and all that kind of stuff. And just, it, I have to accept that I'm not him. Mm-hmm. I want to be parts of him. And so I want to aim for this place, but I, it's okay if I'm not. I mean, it's not like we're talking about like going around with a hatchet, like no. killing people. Son. Like, you know, if you tell people you should do yeah. this, like and there's probably like 90% chance it's going to help them. You're not really hurting people. Yeah. And also <laughs> like, here. it could be something could be true to me and not be true to you. Right. Like it's like right totally. now, one of the things that I'm, I'm saying to, I'm saying is that like, again, this, this is like coming from outside, but I feel like uh, most people that sell online courses they're not really teachers, they're marketers, right? And I feel like that's like oh, something yeah. that's lacking. Like, it's hard to, like, I don't think they're, I think that's, those are two very different things, marketing versus education. And there, there's a little bit of conflict of interest there, like conflict there too, right? Because if your motive is to sell a course and not actually teach people, like how that might hurt each other, but like whatever it is, like, so that's kind of the thing, but it's it's really like it's it's focused around what other people are doing, and what I should do is just focus on like yeah I'm like I'm because one of the things that I'm talking about is I don't want to do this whole funnel and then like trick people into buying my course and blah 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 blah, blah. because at the end of the day if all I, if all I'm doing is trick, tricking people to buy my course the the course is not going to work for them at the end they're just right. it's just going to be a course that they bought that's just sitting there that they never did. So, but I should just focus on, okay, what can I do to make sure and not talk about what other people are doing wrong? <laughs> like, it, it, it's okay to talk about them, right? Like you're a human, mm-hmm. but like you have a very clear, like I love your philosophy around this, especially like the funnel stuff. Cause I went down that rabbit hole a long time ago and it's a, it's an icky world. It is a digital marketing world. It's not an impact world. Like you're literally building products that you know 70% of the people aren't going to use or 80% of the people aren't going to use. And it's and and then you're really just selling them those products so they can sell them other products. And it's just it's it's icky. But at the same time, there are people like you that have like really valuable expertise that like it would so a scalable way to help people. You just have to have the right heart. But like to so to when I think about the messaging behind it, it it is easier to say there are people that are digital marketers and this is bullshit because everybody can relate to that pain point. So from a marketing perspective, there's utility in that, right? I think the question is how quickly do I get to, here's what I believe. Mm -hmm. I believe that an online course should not be a gateway to another product. I believe that an online course should be as if I myself sat down and said, how can I change your life? And I put everything into a mechanism to allow me to do that with multiple people. So my commitment to you is I'm not putting my marketing hat on and I'm not going to sit there and try to get you to buy something else. 
is there a chance that I'll think of something else I can sell sometime? Sure. But my thing is, is that I have been sold so many times or been marketed to so many times, something that's supposed to change my life when I know in my heart, it was just created to change theirs. Mm -hmm. And I want to create something that's going to change your life. And so this is what I believe. And this is what I created. It's okay to talk about what the other people do. You just want to balance it with, yeah. you know, this is what I believe. And, and you have a very strong philosophy around how you're approaching that. And I think that people will appreciate that because we're all, especially with the pandemic, where it's like, Oh my God, I could have passive income in a Ferrari. I'm just stupid enough <laughs> not to take this course. Like, why am I the asshole that didn't fucking get the Ferrari and have like $20,000 a month coming in and doing nothing on a beach? Like, I just have to click this ad. Well, I'm not going to be that guy. I'm going to, I'm going to click this ad. <laughs> it's bullshit. But that was a, the, the message that you, that kind of sales message you did was great. I'm going to use that. <laughs> Cause it's the truth. Yeah. It's ex well, you, so, like, uh, exactly summarize what I was thinking. <laughs> well, so have you ever, so I, I know we have to wrap up, but have you ever read The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you remember he talked about there's the salesman, um, the connector, and the maven. Mm -hmm. And so the salesperson sells really effectively, the connector knows everybody, and the maven's someone that really understands something and helps mm -hmm, you with it, right? Mm -hmm. And he talked about like how, what was it? Paul Revere, or I don't even remember who the person that like alerted us, the red hook, red coats are coming or whatever, mm -hmm. that this person was a combination of those things. He was a connector and a salesperson. So he's able to get people to like rise up or whatever. So when I read that, I realized that a lot of people um, throughout my career mistook me for sale, a salesperson. And I'm actually terrible at selling things. Um, what I'm really passionate about is if I solve a problem, wanting to make sure that no one else ever has to struggle with that problem again. And so for you, like, you know, I think same thing, right? So when I, when I'm, so what I, the way that I sell is I have to ask myself, not how do I get them to buy? Why do I, why do I want this myself? And like, why do I believe in it? And that, and that means I leave money on the table because there's manipulative things you can put into a sales, you know, approach to get people to buy. Um, see, I'm not talking about a bunch of what a bunch of other people do. I'm just saying, I don't want to do that. Um, and the truth is, is that like, I can, I really relate to your philosophy around your online course. So like the way I came up with that is I was like, dude, I already know you well enough to know what you're trying to do. And I think that that's an incredible way to do it. And so if you say that and you just let that passion come through and that authenticity come through someone, your, your, your customer's going to buy. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know this better than I do. That's probably I, that's, why, that's why we're doing this. Yeah, that that I guess like because in my my mind, that's the best way to sell, right? To just to yeah. speak passionately about what what you already believe in, right? But I feel like you know the old way, like people think that sales is about like these tactics. You have to do this. You have to build rapport. You have to blah 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 blah. But now I feel like people are starting to see that that's not the best sale. Like the the top salespeople, are actually, the really really great salespeople, like Steve Jobs. Like to me, like I think Steve Jobs is a great salesperson, and he does that great. He like he he can like eloquently, you know, deliver his passion right through his message. And the the difference is empathy. 
So a great, a great, so when I think, so as someone who came up in sales and teaches sales, I get paid part of what I do. I get paid to teach salespeople how to unlearn everything they've been taught mm -hmm. because the, the, the movie that is like the example that everybody thinks of when you talk about salespeople is Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Um, uh, you know, if you remember yeah, that movie, but uh, like for these hardcore, like, yeah. And, 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 and they always be closing, always be closing all that kind of stuff. And so it's all about how do you manipulate a human to achieve your objective? How do you manipulate them into buying your thing? You might believe in it. You might not. That's just, that's like traditional sales. What Steve jobs did was he put himself in the user's life and said, what would make my life better? And then passionately advocated for that reality. Mm -hmm. And so when, when like I'm teaching um, software as a service salespeople, a lot of times like they'll be like, oh, well, I took a sales class that said I need to look at their earnings report mm -hmm. and tie this to a strategic initiative. And I'm like, no, what you need to ask them is why is it important to them? They're going to give you the party answer and then you ask why back. And then they're going to give you the professional answer. And then you ask why again. And then you say, I really want to know as a human, why do you care about this? they'll be like, oh, well, I really believe in X. And then now you're connected with that human and you're able to help them achieve the reason that they're here on this earth through you selling this product. But you're actually trying to meet that human where they are and make their life better instead of trying to manipulate them into doing X. And it's just, there's a level of empathy that that you have to have and you have to be willing to drop like all like this empathy like old meaning, sales bravado bullshit. Like really putting yourself in that person's shoes, which is easier said than done. I think for a lot of people, it's so hard, like for the people that like, so in healthcare SaaS, if you ask a person why they believe in, in your product, they are going to have to give you a political answer because they're trained to do that because they're very political environments. And so if you don't have the empathy to say, Hey, as a human, man, just, just one human talking to another, like, the reason that I do this job is A, I believe in the product that we sell. B, I want to grow my career and C, I want to provide for my family. So out of curiosity for you, why do you believe in this? Mm -hmm. You have to have the empathy to give them permission to show themselves. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have that empathy, mm -hmm. then you're not going to be able to connect to the real person. And it's just going to be a bunch of masks talking to each other. And then everybody's going to wonder why, oh, they didn't buy or, oh, they oversold me something. And everybody's fucking mm -hmm. confused. Just stupid. Yeah. That's that, that, which is actually my, I, I found out that that's actually my highest value is truth and honesty, right? It's just, I, I mean, you're really high on empathy too. Empathy. <laughs> I know you're laughing, but you are. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I, for me, it's actually pretty easy for me to put, put myself in your shoes or someone's shoes when I'm talking to them. But I noticed that I mean, you may not empathize with serial killers, but you know, I mean, I think even a serial killer, I think I can to a certain degree empathize with them. If I'm talking to them one-on-one, -on -one. like I, maybe I, I wouldn't <laughs> empathize with them killing people, but that, I can see. Well, so that's, this is a clip, right? That This has to be a clip that you, <laughs> I empathize with serial killers <laughs> by my course. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think that like illustrates. <laughs> yeah, seriously, like yours is better. I sympathize. Uh, uh, learn how to sell an online course by empathizing with Syria <laughs> by Sun Yi. Um, 
I do think though that that reflects who you are as a human, that you're still able to look for the humanity inside of a serial killer and empathize with where they are. That's special. Mm -hmm. Seriously. <laughs> or I'm just crazy. <laughs> no, now you're just deflection because you're uncomfortable with a compliment. Yeah, I am. I do that too. <laughs> I know. I know. Me too. Spot it because I got it. All right. Um. Yeah, this always like i i feel like this is going to be a great series and i'm i'm Me so too. glad you know i mean i we're, you're you're really busy we're both busy and we don't get to catch up a lot and just like the fact that we can do this like even through a podcast it's i'm really grateful oh dude i'm i'm grateful okay. too because i mean we're on slightly different paths but i think like on the inside we're going through similar things and i think we just in a very short period of time, experienced a lot of different things together. And, um, and I just, this is, this was very uh, life giving for me just having this conversation with you. And so and being Same able here. to talk to you. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I see you as a mentor. I mean, I don't, uh, I see you as a mentor too. <laughs> so yeah, that's, I think it's a, it's, I think it's going to be something great, like having these conversations and I, I think I'm definitely going to learn. My listeners are definitely going to learn. And thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, dude. Thank you. It's uh, I'm excited. It's an honor. It's a pleasure, dude. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll, I guess, see Michael again in two weeks. <laughs> cool. See you guys in two weeks. Bye, Michael. Bye, everyone. Bye, dude.